God has gone to extraordinary lengths to have a relationship with you. And because of that, that gives us the capacity. It gives you the capacity to build incredible relationships with all the people around you. Hi, I'm Louis Giglio with Passion City Church, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Relatable, a six-week small group resource that's literally for everyone. Relationships are tricky, whether it's a husband and wife or whether it's a mom and dad trying to have a better relationship with a son or daughter, whether it's a son or daughter wanting to have a better relationship with mom or dad. It might be some unresolved conflict from the past, or you may be in that single season of life and you just want to prepare yourself for the person that God has planned for you. Well, I believe as we're able to receive what God is giving us and continue to do that, it's going to affect our ability to have meaningful and successful relationships with all the people in our lives. So I want to invite you to join me as we explore together how receiving God's love and embracing God's grace will unlock in us the ability to have a great relationship with God, with our family, with our friends, and ultimately with ourselves. So I hope to see you in Relatable. One of us finds ourselves at war in our brains every single day. We bought this lie that we are a victim to our thoughts. We are at war. In the next six weeks, we're going to look at the scriptures. You're going to see again and again this truth that we have authority. We have a choice between chaos and quiet, between noise and solitude with God, between denial and healing. Next time you're stuck in a downward spiral of distraction, choose God knows that where we will find contentment is actually not thinking so much about ourselves. You are not helpless because God lives inside of you. He knows that we are not going to get all this right. He knows that we are not going to be perfectly holy and perfectly single-minded people all the time. Yet He died anyway. We choose to obey Him no matter how we feel. This is our mindset free. It's our upward spiral. We have a choice. We forget. The Bible doesn't call us victims, it calls us warriors. And we were built to fight the greatest battle in our generation, this battle of our minds.
Good morning, church family. It's great to see your amazing faces this morning. Let's go ahead and stand up and uh, worship together. And let's sing about this amazing grace that God has lavished on us and given us so freely. Be set free. 
Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. see all of you today on this rainy day. God gives us the sunshine and he gives us the rain too. Isn't that, isn't that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, God gives us everything and, and we are thank, so thankful for him. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's what we just sang. And I, I'm just so thankful to be here with you today to be able to worship and focus on Jesus Christ and, and what he's done for me, what he's done for you. And, and, and hopefully today we can just revel in that. Focus in on that, and and so I, I do want to grab your attention to the to the bulletin, and uh, just to to look at, at the different things that are coming up, and the different things that we uh, have here at Ebenezer. So take some time today to to look at that. I, I do also want to announce the winner of the Samaritan's Birth Purse Operation Christmas Child, and in children's ministry we do a drum roll whenever we. Reveal something like that. So, can I get a drum roll, please? And the winner of the 2020 Operation Christmas Child Box Extravaganza is the youth. Let's give it up for the youth. All right, there we go. All right, all right. So, there you go. All right, Jeremiah, you can gloat. Yeah, yeah, come on up. Give it your speech now. All right, let, let's, uh, let's open this time up in a word of prayer and, um, and just give our attention to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for who you are and, and how much you love us. And not only that, Lord, you, you didn't stay up in heaven and, and just say that you love us. You came down and you showed it. You showed it on the cross. And Lord, we look to that. Not to, not to what we can do, not to what we can achieve, but we look to the cross. Because that's all we have. Lord, thank you for who you are. In your, in your mightiness and your, your glory and in your honor, we come to you. Lord, help us to see ourself in front of you, see our, our, what we're lacking and, and how much you are greater than us. Humble us today as we look at your word and as we, we seek to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have for us. Lord, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, let's continue to sing and worship together. Um, this weekend, of course, we had Judgment House going on up at North Campus, and if you missed that, you missed it. I'm just going to tell you. It was pretty amazing. Every night we had 20 to 30 cars pass through, packed full of people, some truck beds full of kids and adults who were crammed in to see um, the production. It was amazing. And um, it, it's no secret or surprise to me why um, God brought these songs for today to my mind um, in relation to what happened and just the reminder of Judgment House and seeing um, the story of lives ending and first facing judgment and then for some facing hell, but then for some facing an eternity in heaven. And every night I was privileged um, to quote from Revelation, the lamb who was slain is worthy. He is worthy to receive glory and wealth and wisdom and strength. He's worthy to receive honor and glory and praise. 
And it's just amazing to me that, um, not amazing to me, but just not a shocker, I guess, that these songs were, were in my mind all week and even last weekend as we were rehearsing, just as a reminders of what God has done for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and how worthy he is to receive our praise, whether it's um, in the way we sing, the way we live our lives, the way we go to his word, the way we intercede for one another. Um, he is worthy for that. And so we, we have to give him our life. If he's redeemed us, we've got to give him that praise because he deserves it. Let's continue to sing together. Surrender my life, I'm in all of you, I'm in all of you. 
perspective of who we really are compared to you and your glory and your perfection. God, the original words of this hymn are true when we say that you would die for a worm such as me. Because in light of my sin, without you, compared to your glory and your perfection, Father, I am nothing. God, while it's hard for me to uh, personally grab a hold of, there's nothing I can do to earn your love for me. And while that's difficult sometimes in our, uh, in our work-based, performance-based culture to like grab hold of, it's such good news to know that we can turn to you and put our total trust in you and then just follow you but out of a heart of gratitude and thanks for all that you've done for us. Father, continue to be honored and glorified here in our service today and in every moment of our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. It is good to see you this morning. It was um, pretty interesting over the last couple nights to um, to watch at Judgment House and watch the different things that were taking place in um, in North Campus. Um, it kind of transformed North Campus into um, an accident scene and a judgment scene and hell, heaven. And, uh, and a chance to have a conversation about the gospel, to, to have those conversations about what it meant to follow Christ. And if you take a look at the, the whole of that, and really the whole of who we are as a church, it's the idea that we want people to see Jesus. Now that's, that's just it. If they, see, if they see this church building, if they see anything else but Jesus, it takes the focus off of him. And so our job is really to to fade into the background as much as you can be center stage to fade into the background and allow people to see Jesus more than anything else. So, you know, in in some ways there's a uh, 
congratulations to the cast and crew for Judgment House, but also just the thanks for being um, transparent in sharing the gospel in such a unique way that people would see Jesus over those, over those nights. And so um, as we get into this, uh, the premise of what we're going to talk about this morning out of Ephesians 4 is that the clarity of Christ's message depends on you. The clarity of Christ's message depends on you. And so if we don't bring clarity to that, what do people actually see about who Jesus is? And as Paul continues in his letter to the Ephesians, he again clarifies who they are in Christ, and because of their relationship to Christ, what their life ought to be like. Not just life as individuals, but life as a church, as a, a corporate body that reflects who Jesus is. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we, the chapter starts off with a familiar phrase. It kind of goes all the way back to Paul's relationship to Christ. It says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. So Paul again identifies himself and he said, look, I am, I'm submitted to God. I'm a prisoner of His. And one of the things that we talked about last night, it was, it was kind of a um, joking thing when we were talking about the middle schoolers in hell. And you go, oh, yeah. Because, because much of the population of hell was middle schoolers last night. And I don't know, I don't think it was typecasting. But I, but I will say that we did talk about the possibility of getting handcuffs um, because they, sometimes they were just running around, right? You guys are a little, little bit all over the place. And so we talked about the possibility of handcuffs and then talking about being a prisoner. And, and really, when you talk about being in hell, it is a prison. When the Bible describes it, it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, and it's really a prison that you can't break out of. So the handcuffs would have actually been kind of appropriate, um, although we didn't do it. Um, it was a little chilly for handcuffs. But we, what we talked about, Paul here is talking about being a prisoner of Christ, and it's not a handcuff, it is a willing submission to the authority of Jesus Christ. So they, we move from that into what he does or what he talks about for the Ephesian church. He says, there, he says I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, there is a way to live for Christ that brings glory to Him. And Paul's going to talk about that. And we're going to distinguish a little bit about this new way of living. We, that's kind of been the, the theme or the idea behind the whole book of Ephesians is that new way of living stands in contrast to an old way of living. Now I found, just because I was playing on, on Facebook, and I found a a group on Facebook that was for those who grew up in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania. You know, I, I talk about being from Pittsburgh all the time and, and just growing up there and the difference, but anybody that um, is from there knows the distinguishing pieces of Pittsburgh and the Pittsburgh area. So when the other night I was walking down the car line as they were getting ready to come into Judgment House, and I had my Steelers mask on. Um, Mike 
Mike gave me that. Um, he's an Eagles fan. I'm a Steelers fan. So we have this Pennsylvania rivalry kind of thing going. And so I had that mask on, and the lady on the other side of the vehicle says, oh, you're a Steelers fan. And I was like, okay, I got the mask on. I was trying to figure out how she knew that. And so we started talking about it and found out that she grew up in Pennsylvania outside of Pittsburgh. And her husband was from Ohio. And so we had this conversation. And it it just reminded me of some of those things that that I did when I was a kid. It was really easy to look back. So I want to show you a couple of things. You can go, oh, okay. So the the first one that I found on, on this Facebook group is this picture, and I remember exactly where it's at. It's outside of South Park, and so let's throw up the, the first line. There it is. Um, that's back when, when Big Macs were 55 cents. Yeah, that, thanks for the theme song. That's great. So, so that was the McDonald's, and, and I remember when they put that in and opened it up because you went in, you could get your stuff, but there was no place to sit in that McDonald's. And so the, the second one, just down the street from that, is in South Park, which is a state park. And um, this is the ice skating rink that I grew up skating on. Um, it's an outdoor rink. Now, right there, it looks like it's crowded. But you should have seen the 7.30 to 10 session on Friday night because it, it was just like mobs of people just moving in, in a gentle movement around that ice. Um, there were those that hugged the edges, that didn't want to fall, the, those in the middle that were just socializing, and the rest of us just kind of scooted along. Um, there were always a couple of hockey players that were weaving in and out and causing trouble, but, but that was kind of rare because there just wasn't space. So that's the ice skating rink, rink I grew up on. And then I talk about going into Pittsburgh every once in a while, and the way you get to Pittsburgh is not by car, is you take the, the streetcar looks like this. Somebody call it a trolley, but it's called a streetcar. I don't want to get that wrong. And, um, and this was a, a line that ran from way out in, in our borough or our township and ran into Pittsburgh. And we would jump on that about a mile and a half from the house and go down and get off and go to Pittsburgh Pirate Games and, and things like that and, and hang out downtown. I say all that because along with looking at the pictures and reminiscing about all those kind of things, came some of the vernacular as well. Um, there, were, there were things like Mount Washington, which is different than Mount Washington. There is no Mount Washington in Pittsburgh. There's Mount Washington because you put your clothes in a washing machine and you go and wash your face. That, that's what you do. And, um, and then um, the idea of a gum band. You know what a gum band is? You got, yes, no. Gum band is a rubber band. Rubber band, but in Pittsburgh, it's a gum band. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So it was, as I started looking through this page, I actually ran across a brother of a guy that I fought when I was in elementary school. And um, we, we didn't go back and forth, uh, but that, that's a whole other story. But ran across him. And so when I started looking at that, it just immediately took me back to, to the place where I lived, what I did, how we hung out, the trouble that we got in, all those kind of different things. And when I think about Ephesians 4 and thinking about that, I think about this new way of life that Paul encourages us to put on, and it's essentially pushing that 
pushing the past back or leaving it alone. And it's different than, than reminiscing. You can take that off the screen because that'll just that'll distract me for a while because um, there's lots of stories to go with that. But the clarity of our message, it depends on you. And it's the, the, the thought that when we are clear in our message, our old self is put away. And our new self takes control. So when we think about Paul's life, what would it look like to look at Paul's life? So what, what would you see in him? Remember that he was a persecutor of the church, that he was a Jew, he was a, a prominent Jew, and, and went after the church. And so we look at his life, and then we look at what happened in his life after he came to know Christ and began to share the gospel all over the place. And, and took some punishment for it and went through some trials. So Paul's life looked different. He acted different, said things different, and our life shouldn't be any different. Look at chapter 4, and we're going to skip down because the, the, this change in what takes place in Paul and what he encourages for us, we can kind of find that idea in verses 22 and 24. So verse 22 of chapter 4 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So that's the, that's the first part of that. Verse 24 says, And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this living in a manner worthy of the calling or worthy of the Lord is an intentional, intentionally based action on our part because of the transforming work of God in our lives. And so let's look at, look at verse 17, and we're going to kind of go back and look at what the old self looks like before we start looking at what the new self ought to look like. So verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk, and there's that walk in a manner worthy, this is no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and he's, making this statement, and when he says Gentiles, he's talking about those that essentially do not have a relationship with Christ. They're separated from Christ by their sin. They've not accepted Christ as their Savior, and so they walk or they act in a manner that is consistent with not having God in their life. We see that all the time. In fact, we get irritated by, by folks that don't live according to the standards that we have, as a church, a moral standard, but we should not even expect that. We shouldn't expect somebody that doesn't know Christ to live like they do. And so when we look at their behavior, we go, well, that's just terrible. They ought to straighten that out. Well, they're never going to get it straightened out apart from Christ. Now, they'll put some, put some willpower into it for a short time, but it'll never be an effective, lasting change in their life. So verse 17, that's, this I say to you, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So we'll just stop right there. So this whole this, this idea of old self, what does it look like? Well, it starts with the futility. Futi look what it says. It says, in the futility of their minds. 
That word futility means depravity or void. It's void of the truth of God. And so if we were to put that into an equation, we, we may write it like this. It'd be A plus B plus C equals D, where A is the acknowledgement of, of who God, that God exists, maybe. Um, B would be the body of Christ of which you look at, but C would be the clarity. And the futility of their minds means that the clarity of what the church is about, what the, what the body of Christ is about, or what God does in a life is just not there. So if you didn't have the C, it would be hard for us to see the description of Christ, the D part, without the C. And so the futility of their minds means that there's a piece, in, piece of the equation missing. And Paul kind of calls that out and he says, they act in the futility of their minds, and then it gives three ways that this clarity is not seen. First is darkened understanding. They are darkened in their understanding. They can't see it. They may attempt to rationalize God, but they don't understand God. And because they don't understand God, they don't believe in God. It's the, if I don't understand it, I'm not going to believe it. If I've never been there, it must not exist. And so people push away on the idea of God because they have no idea what that looks like. Second thing is hardness of heart leading to callousness. It's the, the pain of unbelief and, and the idea that sin no longer affects us. Um, when, I, when I think about callousness, um, and I, I started to bring something this morning I was going to show you, but, but it's okay. Jimmy's got one up here, a guitar. I've got a guitar at home. And, and Jimmy and Owen and some of the other ones that play guitar up here on a regular basis, um, they've got calluses, right? Yeah, I can pick up my guitar today and go home and play, and I can give it all of about seven minutes. Because I have no calluses. I've not built that up. And so that callus keeps the pain from happening in my life. Dancers have calluses. Athletes would have calluses. Um, construction workers that swing a hammer all the time, they've got calluses. And if you ever step into those things and, and start to do them and you're not used to doing them, you will develop blisters first or, or you'll, start, you'll just be really sore, right? And so this, this idea of callousness or hardness of heart leading to callousness is the idea of working up to where the pain of that sin and the pain of that conviction no longer affects your life. And the church, people in the church, can get there. Where we look at sin and it doesn't affect us anymore. We can look at the world around us and, and we just harden up to it. So we can be just as susceptible to hardness of heart as anyone else. Paul describes hardness of heart leading to callousness. The third thing is sensuality with greediness. It's a growing passion for the perversion of truth. It's seeking after what would be self-serving in my life. Especially, in this case, what, what Paul says is, having given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's, it's centered around sexual sin, and it's the pursuit of that. And you know if you are caught in 
that sexual sin and you start to go down that road, it's a greediness to continue in that and always needing more to fulfill that desire. And so Paul says we go from a darkened understanding of just not understanding God to a callousness towards sin and then a greediness to pursue something that is perverted. We see that all the time around us, the making homosexuality or the conversation about gender identity or the acceptance of porn as the norm. When all those things are, are looked at and pursued, it's a perverting of what God has created as good, that marriage between a man and a woman, sexual activity only between those that are married. Does that make sense? And so when you start pursuing these, this sex, sensuality, after you get past the idea that sin doesn't affect you, it's easy to pursue something that is totally against what God desires. So we make this change and it says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does that look like? So we're going to break this down into basically three pieces. The first thing is, are the core attributes. Find this in verses 2 and 3. See, your core stabilizes your walk. You talk to health experts, those that, that are into physical fitness, and you understand that, um, that your core is extremely important. If your core is strong, you can, you can accomplish different things than if it's weak. Uh, I realized this a little bit over the last couple nights, that... Last night I got to sit a lot, but the, the first couple nights I did a lot of walking. And I'm not used to walking. And what Deb would tell me, she'd say, you need to strengthen your core because it'll help you stand up straight. It'll help you be able to balance better. And so that core becomes really important. Health, they, they tell you it starts with core development. Spiritual health is the same. Your core stabilizes your walk. Look what it says. With all humility and gentleness, this goes back to what we saw um, in verse 16 of the previous chapter, that strengthened with power in your inner being. Humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. So the first thing is, um, is that humility and gentleness with patience. See, it comes down to it's not about me. It's not a slam on being strong, but rather a patient, patient control of God's honoring strength. It's what we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says that love is not rude. It's a, a living out this idea that, that others are more important, and we approach it with a gentleness. Second thing is bearing with one another in love. It's a motivation. You will not always like the other person, though. You may have heard it in your marriage. You may have said it to your kids. I love you, but I don't like you right now. You're going, I've never said that. I'm, you've thought it. And we think that same thing about church, don't we? I love you because Christ says I have to love you, but I don't like you. At least right now, I don't like you. That happens all the time. It says, bearing with one another in, in love. That, that word bearing 
is a persevering kind of action. It's, it's the idea of putting up with because of the love that I have for you. It's not a put off, it's a bring in. It's not abandoning, but recognizing that there are differences and there's a diversity within the body of Christ. Just Paul's talking about the body here. Second, third thing is to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is unity, not uniformity. If we were all uniform, then we would wear the same thing on Sunday morning. We'd say, this is the dress code for Ebenezer Baptist Church, and if you don't wear this, you're not accepted. That would be uniformity. The other pictures that I saw when I was looking back at that Facebook post is I found the Catholic school that I went to when I was a kid. And uh, there were some interesting things. I did not realize I had to dress up so much. But on my first day of school, I had on the dress slacks, the, um, the sport coat that was the green and blue plaid, and a tie. That was the way I went to school. And everybody wore that. And so I saw class pictures with everybody in the same thing. The girls were wearing skirts. and you know, I mean, it was just you had to be uniform. But that's not the way the body of Christ is. The body of Christ is called to be unified but not to be uniform. It starts with a connection with God. We can have differing opinions and still be unified in Christ. Deb and I got to go and vote in Eflin last week. Um, the line was tremendously long. There was like half a person in front of us because that's about all it was, really. And we voted early, got our vote done. But I realized that even in a congregation this size, that there will be people that will vote differently then I will. In fact, I don't, I don't even know how Debbie voted. We didn't discuss that. We didn't talk about it before we went in. I can, I can take some educated guesses because I know my wife. But I don't know you guys as much in that. I don't know how you voted when you walk into a booth or how you will vote Tuesday. So we may have different perspectives about certain pieces of that. And certainly when you vote, whether you've already voted, it's a done deal. But if you haven't voted yet, voting according to scriptural principle is the only way to do that. It's the only way to go. Because if you vote outside of scriptural, scriptural principle, then you're going against what God's design is. So you don't, want to, you don't want to push back on the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to influence your vote. But we can have different voting perspectives. And maybe it's in a different place. Maybe it's not the presidential race that where the difference would take place. But that doesn't really matter. We can have different perspectives about a lot of different things. And yet we are called to be unified. It says to be unified in the bond of peace. Remember the gum band? Gum band stretches, doesn't it? Rubber band stretches. And so that... That whole idea of being unified in the bond of peace, if we are to be peaceful, it means that sometimes there's a stretch to that peace, but it comes back and it's still holding things together. And Paul, when he describes this as the bond of peace, he's putting everybody inside that band. And although we may push on that band every once in a while, 
and try and get away from somebody within the body of Christ because we have a different perspective. The band, the bond of peace, holds us together that we can accomplish what God has asked us to do. It's maturity that demonstrates self-sacrifice. So core attributes. It starts with a core, your inner being. The second thing is a connecting adoption. God's love solidified your adoption. Verses 4 through 6 says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It sounds pretty one, doesn't it? So we can, you, know, you remember the argument they would have in, in early churches about who they were following. Some were following this one, some were following that one. And Paul, in this case, talking to the Ephesian church, he's saying, look, when, when Jesus did away with the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and called all people to himself in Christ, he did away with all that and put us in this camp of having a single faith, being one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. So if we look at that, we say one body. There's no dividing wall. So this congregation may be just like the congregation that looks completely different than us, but because we are in Christ, we are one body. One of the things I heard coming out of heaven last night, I'm not talking about heaven, heaven, I'm talking about heaven, the tent, heaven, the judgment house, is, um, is some of the music took on a way different tone last night than it had the, the previous nights. In, in fact, they, they were diverse. They, they went from being, and, and I don't want you to hear this wrong because different congregations and different racial makeups of congregations worship differently is they broke into um, like a, a black church kind of mode over there and it was fun to listen to it's not going to be all like white church calm in heaven it's going to be a little different so it was kind of cool because we started out with kind of that white church calm mentality and and then it just kind of rocked with black church Let's get down to it and stuff. And, and I'm surprised cars even pulled away. I just want to be part of that. But there's a diversity, and it, it's still one body in Christ. We have one spirit. Truth is that God is not divisible. He is true to His Word. You cannot divide God and say that part of God is over here and part of God is over here. No, it's one God. It's one spirit. And we have one hope, salvation through Christ alone. It said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I was reading a biography about J. Waugh, a blind evangelist. And he stated this when, in, when he had trusted Christ at the age of eight. He said this, The fact that sin has, had not expressed itself in gross evils does not rule out sin. The tendency to sin was as much a part of my nature as was the tendency to eat. So he realized even at eight that there was this natural bent towards sin. But our only hope is found when we turn over our life to Jesus Christ. 
So one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. We have the same leader, one faith. And although there may be different degrees of faith, we still have a faith that is based on trusting Christ. And so some of you have great faith. And we could put that in terms of money, we could put it in terms of vision, put it in terms of a whole lot of different things. And we could be at different degrees or different levels of our faith journey, but we still have that one faith in Christ. One baptism, that identifying mark of a believer, and then one God. Uniqueness of God. Look at Deuteronomy 6.4. Look what it says. And this, is, this goes all the way back to that what I'm teaching my children and, and what the, the nation was supposed to be about in the households that represented God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's not divided. Then in verse 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The needed amount of grace to enable you to live this new life. So if you're going to take off the old self and put on the new self, it, does not, it is not accomplished by what you can do in and of yourself. It's accomplished by your, your piece of surrender to God. Your testimony of God's grace is unique to you. It's essentially personalized. It's a custom fit. So what does God want to do in and through His church or you? Why does he want to do it? Look at the, the third thing in our outline this morning is the cultivating assurance. So your life displays God's intention. Your life displays God's intention. God's primary display of his love for the world comes through the church. That's you and me. And so all the people that, that sat in line the other night, all the people that, that went through Judgment House, they weren't going to see Christ just sitting in their car with no interaction, just sitting there. I can go to a parking lot and get the same amount of revelation sitting in a parking lot as they could just sitting in that line. But when it comes to revealing Christ, they needed to encounter those that belong to Christ. And so they got to do that. How can they hear without somebody telling them? How do they see Christ apart from the church? God's primary display of love for the world is us. Look what it says in, in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. It says, this is Jesus praying. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, you are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So when Paul writes this, he's writing to a group of people that God has called to be His visible witnesses to the world around them. Verse 11, And He gave some as apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers for a particular purpose. So God's grace measured out and gifted to the church comes in the form of these five, and it doesn't mean that just because you may not have those roles, those particular roles. It doesn't mean that you don't have a piece of the responsibility for doing these things. 
but there are people that God has gifted for different areas. First one is apostles, just to be an ambassador for Christ. Prophets are communicators. Evangelists are witnesses of the gospel of Christ, and shepherds are overseers. Teachers are instructors. But they're given for a particular purpose. Look at verse 12. It says, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's just stop there for, for just a moment. Why? Why did God bring these particular things into the church? Why did God give people gifts, the measure of Christ's gift to the church through these roles? It's for the equipping of the saints. That's the first piece. For the work of ministry. It's not equipping of the saints so you can be more comfortable sitting in a pew. It's for the work of ministry. Second thing is for encouragement, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then, till we all attain the unity of the faith. That's a unifying piece of what we ought to have is because of that gifting. And then growing. Till we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we would be growing in our relationship. It's that second piece of our, our purpose statement that builds your faith. It's a maturity. So when you look like Jesus, the work is done. Is there anyone here that falls into that category? Wow, we're still a work in progress, aren't we? All of us. So we can get distracted and bent out of shape because everybody in the room does not do what we want them to do. But God still calls us to be unified and understand that we are all still in the process of maturing. Everybody. We grow up into mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then it goes on to say in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let's just stop right there for, for just a second. There is a reason that the church has been given gifts. There's a reason that we do the equipping, the encouragement, the unifying, and the growing. It's so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That our doctrine remain firm. There's conversation within our association about doctrine, about marriage, about gender identity. And when we as a church or the association as a group of churches ventures away from God's word, we cease to be the church that brings honor and glory to Christ, and we see, cease to be the association that does the same. And so if we decide that we're going to be doctrinally firm in what and follow Scripture according to what it says, and the association goes a different way, we will not go with the association. Now that may disturb some of you, 
I don't think the association's going a different direction, but I'm going to tell you that we're going to be doctrinally sound in biblical truth. And we want to remain that way. Then it says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So we should be moving into Christ. We should be looking more like Him. When I, I can sit at my computer and try and line up different words so they match, font sizes and all that kind of stuff, and if I don't get it exactly right, it's going to be distorted. God is growing us up, moving us into the image of Christ so that when people see us, all they see is Him. It's not a distortion of God, it's the, a clear picture from whom the whole body from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What does it mean to work properly? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a measure. It's an effectual measure. And that word means it, it has, the only time it's used in the New Testament has to do with a superhuman ability or power. It's a synergy that's accomplished by togetherness in Christ. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And then the last part of the chapter talks about what that description of maturity looks like. Verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So if I can speak the truth, but I speak it in such a way that it hurts you, it ought to hurt me. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. We use that all the time, but the application here is within the church. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something share with anyone in need we can get down a political road with this when a when a government begins to give away everything and encourage non-work for people to sit back and receive without giving it doesn't it doesn't fit into this and the same would be true in the church remember the application here is in the church so if you're part of the church you cannot expect benevolent help as part of the church all the time, there is a working that comes in the, into that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's a mouthful. And yet, if we were to look at that and say, how does that apply to my life? we probably cure much of the disgruntledness within churches. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So that's the description of maturity. That's the description of 
that new self that's to be put on. So we put away the old self and all that goes with that, whether it's the darkened understanding or the callousness that comes because of sin, and we put on the new self that is soft, soft in, our, in our sensitivity to the Spirit of Christ. So what do we do with that? How does that apply? Let me give you three things. We'll be done. First one is leave the past in the past. That's the encouragement in verses 22 and 24, isn't it? To put off the old self and put on the new self. Leave the past in the past. Those that have come to Christ are a new creation in Christ, but there's an application for the church when it says to not hold on to slander and bitterness and wrath, but move beyond that and begin to love one another in the unity of the Spirit. Leave the past in the past. This was even said last night, and not in these particular words, but I listened to, um, to Satan talk last night in hell, in Judgment House. I listened to, to Mike repeat this over and over again, talking about good behavior. John from the Judgment Seat, talking about good behavior will not land you in heaven. Catherine, one of the players in, in the scene, had done a lot of good things. And yet she spends eternity in hell. Good behavior will not land you in heaven. It does not secure your standing before God. Only trusting Christ does. So leave the past in the past and trust Christ. The second thing is to renew or renovate your mind. That put on the new New self, Romans 12, 2, says that, that we should be conformed, conformed to the image of Christ by the transformation of our minds. And we know that when you encounter or begin to renew something or renovate something, it is hard work. In fact, it's likely going to require more work and cost more money. You do a renovation or a a renewing of your house, when you start to tear stuff apart and start to fix things, it's going to cost more than you expected. And the same thing is true of our own life. When we say, I need renovation, I need renewing, but sometimes we get to that place where we look at the project and we say, okay, I can deal with that. And then we begin to dig into what that renewal or renovation looks like in our life, and we say, oh, wait a minute, that's going to take more work than I planned or more time than I wanted to or it's going to cost more in my life than I'm willing to spend and so therefore I'll leave the renewing and the renovation alone and I won't pursue that. That's, that's the road to callousness, isn't it? When sin starts to not affect us anymore. Third thing is acknowledge. Acknowledge your humanity while pursuing unity. It's to know that we are an imperfect people still in process. And while we recognize that we are human and prone to sin, prone to looking back, reminiscing, and even sliding back that we unintentionally go back to what we didn't want to do. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I do what I don't want to do, and what I want to do I don't do. That idea, 
We're all in that spot, and when we acknowledge our humanity, it's not saying that sin is okay, but we realize that we're imperfect, and we're still in process, and at the same time, we pursue unity and ask for forgiveness. And give forgiveness. That's what Paul's driving at. And you remember, from the very beginning of this letter to the Ephesians, he talks about this relationship with Christ. He starts out with, you've been called here, and this is what has taken place in your life. And because God is so great, He's called you to be in Christ. And now he's moving into to getting a little bit more personal. He's saying, when you are in Christ, there's a new way of living that affects the way the world sees God. And so Paul is taking us on this, on this journey, if you will, through this, and saying, here's your identity. And because your identity is this, here's how it ought to affect you. And here's how it ought to affect the world. And he's gotten very general in this very first part of, of getting, kind, kind of bringing it in and funneling it in to talk about lives. Because when we get to chapters 5 and 6, he's going to move from church body to family and relationships. So if you think this morning was uncomfortable, just wait. Because it is harder to live out your Christian faith in your family where everybody knows you than it is to live it in a congregation where you show up once a week and can put on a mask for an hour. Paul is taking us on this journey so that we can be mature in Christ and show a world that we are together in Christ and that trusting Christ is worth it. So this morning... What do you need to leave in the past? What do you need to put away? And what do you need to renew or renovate in your life? And you say, it's too much work. Maybe, maybe this is the day where you sign the contract and say, God, I'm willing to do the renewing that you asked me to do. Because I know that not doing that renovation is disobedience. Maybe today is the day you sign the contract for that renovation. Maybe today is the day that you acknowledge humanity and say, I need to be a pursuer of unity more than a pursuer of my own desires. And whatever God's calling you to do, to, to leave, renew, or acknowledge, I would ask that you would be obedient to Him. Because anything apart from obedience to Him means you're just walking out in the same condition as when you walked in. So let's pray. And you do what God's asked you to do. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. For the truth of your word, as hard as it might be. But God, we want to hear what Paul says and, and recognize that Paul is reflecting and, and relating what is your heart, that we would take off the old self and put on the new self. And in so doing, we would bring glory to the name of Christ. And so, Father, guide us during this time of commitment for your honor and for your glory. 
We want this time to reflect our love for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as God leads you, this altar is open. If you'd like to come and have a conversation about new life in Christ or, or some other thing that God's called you to this morning, I'll be in the front. Pastor Jeremiah is here. Pastor Isaiah is here in the front. We'd be glad to talk with you about any of that. Will you be obedient to Christ as we sing? see Christ in you. But they wouldn't see Gary or April or Mark or Matt or Mary, different folks, but they would see Christ. So when they look at you, if they call you Jesus, don't be surprised. Not if you're living like Jesus. Allow them to see him more than you. I um, want to remind you that next Sunday, is um, Pastor Isaiah and Tori's last Sunday here. Um, they'll be around for a couple days, I guess, the, the beginning of that next week. But la next Sunday, we'll do a reception over in the parking lot out here, um, beginning at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So I um, encourage you to, to come out next week. Um, I don't know exactly how hugs are going to work. Pretty sure we'll probably stay away from kissing. But I don't, I'm not sure how hugs are going to work, but um, next week at 3 o'clock, and we will just celebrate um, an ascending reception for them as they head back to Georgia. All right, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for our time this morning, for your great love for us, for your patience with us. And Father, may our lives reflect you. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.